You're listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, brought to you by Axis DX. This is a show for the lab professionals and medical directors who bring forward novel diagnostic tests to advance modern medicine. Let's dive into the conversation. Hey, Jill, thanks a lot for joining us this afternoon. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, it's great to be here, Perry. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you will have a unique perspective coming from your experiences of personalized medicine, because as you know, we like to talk about how can we help in the United States get personalized medicine done rather than just talked about. So I'd love just to get your perspective of what is personalized medicine? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, I'm, I'm going to probably date myself here because I've been in the field quite a long time, but I remember first hearing the term personalized medicine and it really being at that time quite specific to the field of pharmacogenetics, right? So using a person's genetic information to help them be more prescriptive in the medication. So whether it's the right medication or the right dose, but obviously over the years, that term has broadened. It's needed to be broadened to really encompass pretty much any parameter of a person's health, their genetic information, their age, their height, their weight, all of these factors so that we can be as precise as possible in finding the right treatment plan for them, the right medication for them, And even now moving into a really exciting space that we've been tracking closely, which is curative treatments. So being able to actually target cures for rare diseases to individuals and their genetic changes. So just really exciting advancements that we've seen, but it really encompasses all of those things. No, that's great. And whether it's a treatment plan or actually a cure, which is fantastic, right? I mean, that truly is personalized medicine. We are able to, at an individual level, assist him or her with getting what's needed or what's not needed or whatever happens, right? So when I look at genetic counselors, and I'm not just telling you this, you guys should be running the show here. Yeah. We're pretty dead in the middle of the whole space of precision medicine. I mean, it is one of the key variables in determining someone's next steps in terms of a diagnosis, in terms of even prevention, right? So if someone has a genetic finding, that doesn't necessarily mean they have a disease or they will develop a disease. It often means that we can be proactive and prescriptive at what they're management of their health risks should be. And so really what our field is involved in doing is taking that really complex information around an individual's genetic tests, their family history, sometimes many generations of family history, and then helping them to understand specifically what that information means for them, what they can do with that information, and what those next steps might be. And that could be a genetic test, or it could be explaining the results of a genetic test and what those downstream implications and recommendations would be. We really like to think of it as like that last mile problem. So there's so many genetic tests in the market, as you know, there's so much information out there for patients to be able to access, but not a lot of ability for patients or even healthcare providers to take that and make it meaningful on the individual level. And that's really what we feel our role is. And that role, which is crucial, It's a heavy lift, though. I mean, that is really doing deep dive with that person about what's going on, their history, their family, all that stuff, right? And 
dare I say, healthcare doesn't pay for time. It's one of the challenges that we recognized a workforce shortage in our profession long before the pandemic, where now there's workforce shortages in pretty much every area of healthcare. And so not only are genetic counselors needed to spend time with patients in collecting information and really analyzing that information to determine the best genetic test for them or the best next steps for them, very often there's heavy psychosocial aspects of that patient's either history or maybe a new diagnosis that we also are qualified and do spend time addressing in that session as well. But in traditional settings, genetic counselors aren't supported often by a lot of administrative support. And so very often they're also spending their time calling insurance plans and filling in requisitions and doing this very heavy administrative work. And so, you know, what we recognized several years ago is an opportunity to be able to offload as much of that non-highly skilled work to either technology or to other resources so that we could, in effect, scale genetic counseling to the many people who were in need and who continue to be in need as the field advances at the rate that it is. Yeah, because that's really a hurdle, as I see it, is the not only the genetic counselors themselves, right, but the ability to scale. So tell us a little bit more about how you are working to help offload, keep the clinical, keep the core, right, with the genetic counselor, but more of the administrative stuff, if you can have some sort of uh, technology to at least assist, if not, you know, do some of it. Yeah. You know, I would say a traditional genetic counselor workload is a lot of time preparing for the case. So getting all the records, reviewing all the records, working that up. Um, we have that work done by professional group. I guess we've sort of developed the need for this. And so we've named a profession genetic counseling assistants. And so there's quite a few genetic counseling assistants in the workforce now. At Genome Medical, we have about 35 uh, genetic counseling assistants. So they do a lot of that preparatory work so that when the genetic counselor is uh, ready to see the patient, they just need to do a really quick review and they kind of know where to look for the right pieces of information. And then same on the back end, there's often a lot of administrative work to summarize the session the genetic test results, the medical recommendations for next steps, and that's both for the patient and the provider. And so a lot of that work, again, is supported by, reviewed by the genetic counselor, but supported by our genetic counseling assistant. So that would be one way. There's a lot of automation that we've built out in our technology as well that, you know, helps to match the patient who is in need of services with the right genetic counselor in the right state because there's licensure issues. And so uh, we've done a lot of work to automate um you know, patients being able to schedule, schedule with the right genetic counselor, um, and then connect to that genetic counselor through our platform as well. Um, and then just really, you know, most of our partnerships, um, although we service patients, and that really is our focus, most of those come to us through hospital partnerships or laboratory partnerships. And so really honing in with those partnerships on, you know, what work are we needed to do versus what might be happening at the lab or at the health system before the patient gets to us or, or downstream of our visit. So just really working and integrating us into that process so that we know the patient's end-to-end -end experience, which includes us, but we also kind of have a good picture of the full, of the full visit. So do you get most of the 
institutions, providers, or are patients coming to you directly, or how's that working? Yeah, the majority come to us through our partnerships with healthcare systems and clinics. So that would be maybe 40% of the patients that we service. Another 30 or 40% would come from laboratories. So, you know, as they're delivering genetic testing solutions to the market, they want to ensure that the patients who are receiving those test results do have adequate resources to be able to help them understand the information and help their providers as well. And then we have this growing part of our business that is supporting uh, biopharma companies in clinical trial work as well. So back to the gene therapy work that we talked about earlier. So it leaves maybe about 5 to 10% of patients who are really, I would say, often on this diagnostic odyssey. They've been searching for a long time. They've read about genetic testing. They think it would benefit them. They haven't you know, been able to get a referral from their doctor or work with their physician to kind of understand why they might benefit from a genetics referral. And so they just come in and book with us directly. The other benefit of our services, we not only can do counseling for patients pre and post, but we can also order the testing. We have a medical team as well. And so we can, for those patients who come to us directly, really do the full workup, the test ordering and all the delivery around that test. Once a quarter, AccessDX gathers a group of medical directors to advise laboratory innovators and to stay current on the ever-evolving trends in medical advancements. We'd love to partner with more medical directors so that you can help influence the next generation of modern medicine. If you're interested, please send a quick email to info at accessdx.com and connect with us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash accessdx. And now, back to the podcast. And I do want to ask you, from your perspective, what are kind of the major barriers that you are encountering from a personalized medicine diagnostic viewpoint and how it is affecting genetic counselors? Can I throw out my, the one I think? Yeah, sure. I think one is like territorial. I think physicians are too territorial. And like I said, Genetic counselors are the best people to determine which tests are appropriate for these individuals, even more so than physicians, because they just don't, the physicians do, do not have the type of training that's necessary, nor should we expect it. But then I guess what I'm kind of concerned about is like, well, then if that's a reality, then why be so territorial in which the physicians, and I'm calling the physicians out, so that the genetic counselor can have the role that is rightfully theirs. Yeah, I think we find less territorialism, more of just, I don't understand the space and therefore I don't want to touch it because I don't want to make the wrong decision, order the wrong test, but then coupled with, I don't even know genetic counselors exist, right? And so like, I think that's in large part why laboratories offer genetic counseling as part of their service, an extension of their service to help those physicians who don't feel comfortable ordering know that when they do place an order with a lab, there will be someone qualified there to help those patients. I would say maybe an exception to that is, you know, there's been a lot of advancements and 
physician education and and even physician adoption of ordering testing in the oncology space and then in the reproductive space. And in those areas, I would say there's pretty nice collaboration between genetic counselors and medical oncologists or maternal fetal medicine doctors where the ordering is one thing, but then, you know, I think physicians are much more comfortable and or don't have the time to spend that a genetic counselor would to say, all right, you have your results, but I'm going to refer you to a genetic counselor to actually help you understand and then kind of work alongside them on the next steps. Provider base really is willing to either allow their preferred laboratory provider work with genetic counselors, or if they know about genetic counselors, allow you folks to go ahead and and do that in those specialties where there's been kind of longstanding partnership, whereas, you know, some of the newer areas, because obviously genetics touches pretty much every practice area. So, you know, neurology, cardiology, I think those are areas where we still have a lot of room to educate physicians on the value of partnering with genetic counselors and and really helping them to offload some of that work and, and support patients, because that's that's the most important piece, right? So I was wrong with my barriers. So what are the barriers that, uh, as you see them? Yeah, I mean, access is probably the biggest, right? So we are a pretty limited workforce. Uh, counselors, there's five, 6,000 who are clinically trained in the United States. You know, licensure does restrict uh, access from state to state unless people are multi-state licensed. And then I think probably the biggest one is most genetic centers are in large urban settings or academic medical centers. So 30% or more of the U.S. population does not live within a 30-minute drive of one of those centers. And so, you know, we've obviously telehealth has been much more widely adopted as a result of the pandemic, but that's really been our key value prop is to help augment um, most of rural systems that we work with in extending their telehealth capacity into genetic counseling. You know, I would, obviously that creates all kinds of barriers with equitable access. I mean, I know uh, your audience on this podcast is a lot of payers. And so I think one of the biggest limitations is really payer coverage for genetic services. And so, you know, while genetic tests are pretty widely covered and there's, you know, clear guidelines around what gets covered and what doesn't. Um, I'll give the example of Medicare does not recognize genetic counselors as qualified health care providers. And so that means, you know, the whole population over the age of 65 doesn't have access to paid for uh, genetic counseling services. And then of the commercial plans, you know, obviously that depends on someone having an employer who, who they are in network with. And then there's just varying rates of reimbursement and not all commercial plans cover genetic counseling either. So that would be one of the key, I would say, issues or barriers to just patients being able to access qualified professionals. That makes sense. I mean, I mean, we've been, um, you know, genetic counselors, we're a small profession. We are largely volunteer run in terms of, you know, we all support, we're part of a professional, national professional organization. We have spent almost all of our efforts and resources at lobbying efforts to get gain coverage, iMedicare, Medicaid. You know, I think we've made a lot of progress. We've definitely made a lot of progress in educating. We've had multiple bills introduced with bipartisan support. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, the, the last few years have just 
there've been other priorities and other bills that we just haven't been able to get uh, attached to, but we continue to push. Uh, I do think in five years we'll, we'll get there. I think we'll maybe get there within the next year to two years. And obviously that will open up a lot more access for patients. And then it will also allow more coverage, more financial coverage for hospital systems to be able to hire more genetic counselors and staff because right now they can't gain reimbursement, even if they're employing genetic counselors on staff, they cannot bill Medicare um, unless there's a physician involved in the case, which um, there are limitations there as well. So access is an issue and will continue to be an, uh, an issue, but you're, you know, there's a process in, in place and uh, you, you kind of work it through that. So when you think about genetic counselors, I mean, if you could say, well, Perry, I would love for our role in personalized medicine to move along this line. What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think over the last several years, we've really, because of the limitations to the workforce and and kind of the growing number of genetic tests in the market and the number of people who need access, we've really been trying to push most of the patient support to post-test counseling. So there are certainly cases where you would want to have a genetic counselor involved in reviewing and determining the right tests for the right patient. Um, Many plans have prior authorization workflows in place, but I think we're starting to see movement away from that and starting to see more of the support for patients be in the post-test side. I mean, you and I have been in the field quite a long time. We've definitely moved from testing patients gene by gene to putting whole panels of tests together to likely moving to a scenario where everyone just gets whole genome sequencing, where it's just a one-time cost. And so you know, I think that is a point in time where individuals might meet with a genetic counselor multiple times, but it's likely going to be at various points within their life and stages of life, right? And um, less of a need for there to be so much done on the front end of testing. And be curious if that's what you're you're also seeing and and thinking. Yeah, no, I, I think that's where we're headed. Quite frankly, I think it'll take us time to get there, and. I always say, be careful of what you ask the government to play a role in. But I think this is one thing that they could push forward because it does make sense. But with the economics of healthcare from a private health plan standpoint, I can see how they're hesitant, right? Even though, you know, there's, there's savings there. Right. But the window for what they need to demonstrate as far as savings is so small. Right. But overall, that's why I think the government should play a role. It's kind of like, okay, you might not get it back in a year or two or three, but over 10 years, of course, there's going to be a tremendous ROI. Right. But the, then it's like, well, who pays for that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is about aligning incentives, right? So ensuring that first of all, that we do best for the patient and ensure that patients get access to the information that they need. But the health system incentive needs to align with the payer incentive, needs to align with the lab incentive and getting the cost covered. And so, you know, we've all heard about the movement to value-based care. I think we all want to get there where everyone's involved and at the table and ensuring that the right things are being done for the patient and that the right 
pot that goes around is set up the right way. Those incentives and the alignment, that's crucial, right? So, and that's the hard part in this case and in, in most business situations, right? Because the unfortunate reality is that there are numerous misalignments right now. And I think genetic counseling kind of gets hit with some of these misalignments, even from a pure reimbursement standpoint or coverage access, you know, genetic counselors have gotten hit on multiple fronts with that. And I guess the other folks could say the same thing too, maybe. But um, when you're talking about personalized medicine, it does seem like they, uh, we've, we've come a long way, but there's certainly a road, a path that I think could be taken, a matter of how quickly we get there. Agree. Well, thanks so much for giving us insight into not only what you're doing, but the company and genetic counseling and how that plays an integral role with personalized medicine. We just appreciate everything that you're doing. I appreciate being here today. And thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, produced by Amplify Podcasts and original music by Jake Dimas. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you with a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Until next time.